Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss and Cage Podcast. Today we have a special treat for you, right? So her name is Asha, but I just want you to kind of understand like the woman that we're talking to right now. Obviously, she's a lawyer, but we're going to really diving more into like how does she become a lawyer? Why does she become a lawyer? And what kind of lawyer that she is? In addition to that, you always know that I always give someone a particular nickname and the nickname for this individual is going to be the Transcend Boss for obvious reasons when she starts talking and telling you her story. So the the floor is yours. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit more about you and what we're talking about? Well, thank you for that warm introduction. I'm excited to be here. My name is Asha Wilkerson. I'm an Oakland, California-based attorney, entrepreneur, and business coach. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into more questions as we go, but I'm, I'm thrilled to meet the folks who are following you. Cool. Very cool. Very cool. So, I mean, let's just jump right into this, right? So if you could define yourself in three to five words, what would those three to five words be? I would say I'm an attorney by training, but I'm an educator at heart. I'm truly, truly an educator and love to teach and to share the knowledge that I've acquired over the years. And I do that, whether it's teaching exercise classes or teaching about law or teaching in a school, everything I do is about teaching. It seems like. <laughs> so, I mean, let's talk about that. I mean, how, how does that usually work? I mean, usually if you have a lawyer, lawyers are usually dedicated to their clients and with those clients, they're trying to do something in a courtroom, but you're right. saying you're really big on education. So like, how does that work with, with the law that you practice? Yeah. So first of all, education is just in my blood. I, my mom was an educator. My auntie was an educator. And when I was a kid, I would make little lesson plans after school. I don't know anybody else who did that except for my friend and me at that time. Mm -hmm. So I've always just gravitated towards teaching. And I thought I was going to be a teacher, a high school English teacher at first, but I ended up in law school. Um, and, and in the beginning, of my career, I litigated. I was in court, you know, at least three or four days a week and I got burned out. I was tired of showing up and tired of fighting. I'm the type of person that likes to find a solution right away and solve a problem. And litigation in this country is just not set up for that, especially in California. There's tons of cases being filed. So everything takes a year to two years to resolve. A year, you're lucky if you can resolve it in a year. A couple of years, three years is, is the norm right now. And so I took a break and, and I said, well, what am I good at? How do I want my life to look? And I said, I want to teach because I love it. I enjoy sharing information. I want to be able to travel and I want to have enough money to support myself. And I had applied for a couple of teaching jobs at community colleges and got a full-time teaching job, which are rare and hard to come by. And a couple of years into that, I realized, oh, wait a minute, I'm actually living that dream that I said that I want. The, the job is actually meeting the needs for the lifestyle that I wanted to create. And I always knew I was going to come back to law, but I said, I'm not going to come back in a way that burned me out. I'm going to come back in a way that fits my strengths and my strengths again are teaching. So when I came back to practice, I started teaching classes on how to form your own LLC, how to write your contract or how to review your own contract. You should probably still have an attorney write your contracts for you. And so I just bridged my skill, what I, what I enjoyed and figured out how to use my formal education and training to still give that to the world. So I didn't have to give it up, especially with all the, all the money I paid for it in student loans. <laughs> 
I think it's definitely interesting because, I mean, uh, unfortunately, most people that go to college and they get degrees, they end up doing something completely different. And you found an opportunity to bridge the gap between like your law career and your love and passion for education. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I want to commend you for that because not everyone has that opportunity to live that and be that and become Mm -hmm. that. So that's definitely something that I think you're leading by example. So like, let's just dive into what you're doing for clients right now. So you're talking about developing an LLC. And and I mm-hmm. asked this question multiple different times on this show. It's kind of like, you know, are you an S Corp? Are you a C Corp? Are you an LLC? But right. You're, you're, you're really on the bedrock of teaching people about the LLC. So why did you start right. with that foundation versus jumping into an S Corp or, or a C Corp? For- yeah. So, so first let me go back to how I even got. So when I first started litigating, it was uh, medical malpractice. And then I started doing um, plaintiff side employment law. And then I switched to business side, thinking that if I could advise business owners, then maybe we'd have fewer lawsuits that didn't necessarily work. But <laughs> I realized also that it's not just employment law for the small businesses that they needed business law advice as well. And then that just kind of turned into coaching. And when I decided to go back into law, um, more intentionally, I said, you know what, let me help build these, these businesses up. Let me provide the legal foundation. And one of my clients asked me, he said, great, Asha, you formed this LLC for me, but how do I keep my money like the rich white folks do? And I was like, hmm, that's a really good question. At the time, I didn't have an answer. I knew the tools to use, but I didn't know how all the tools fit together. So I did more research about, you know, the, the wealthy folks, what do they have? Is it just investments? Is it just property? Is it just businesses? It's a combination of all of those things. And a lot of families are able to pass on wealth from generation to generation. So when I look at what is the best advice that I can give to business owners, bridging that vision for generational wealth creation, but also the legal background is that the LLC and the corporation provide legal protection. So whatever happens in the business, the business becomes responsible for it. And your personal assets are not up for grabs if there's a lawsuit. The easiest entity to get into is a limited liability company. And each state has something a little bit different. Most states have LLCs. Some have limited partnerships. They have, you know, so there's a little bit of nuance there, but I think every state has a limited liability company or an LLC. And that's run pretty much like a sole proprietorship in terms of taxes. You can be the sole owner of an LLC. There's less paperwork to file. And at a minimum, it gives you protection. Depending on how big your business is and what you plan to do with your business, like if you want to go public one day and sell on the stock exchange, if you want venture capitalist investors, then a corporation is probably going to be the right entity for you. But there's a conversation that needs to happen between your attorney and your tax advisor so you understand what the taxes look like and what the differences are between the two entities. And sitting right in between LLC and corporation is this tax election called an S-Corp. So it's not actually a separate type of entity. Your LLC can choose the S-Corp election or your corporation can choose the S-Corp election. And what that means is that you are personally responsible for paying the taxes. So you file like an addendum to your personal mm-hmm. tax return and it changes the way you're taxed so that it gets rid of the self-employment tax that you have to pay if you're a sole proprietor or an LLC owner. And then for corporations, the default tax structure for corporations, a corporation pays its taxes and you as the owner pay whatever you take home on payroll. The S-Corp allows it to pass through to you similar to an LLC, but then it takes away 
that's self-employment tax. So I advise people, you know, really, really talk to an expert who knows. It's easy to go form an LLC, but you want to think not just what you need right now, but where do you want to be in the next five years, 10 years, 15 years? So you can choose the entity that's going to grow with you as opposed to having to change it a little bit later on. I, I'm just listening to you. You're spitting off and you're doing it with so, so much conviction and passion. And I'm just like, okay, this woman speaks Spanish. She speaks Portuguese. She speaks Haitian Creole. And I think you forgot to say, obviously, you speak law as well. Like, I mean, that, that's a whole nother <laughs> language that you should add to your dossier for sure. So I, I want to talk about that a little bit. Like, have you had an opportunity to use these other languages in translation to what you're doing to mm-hmm. other minority groups? Yeah, absolutely. Especially Spanish. My strongest language is Spanish. Um, And so I have advised business owners who speak Spanish primarily, and I've worked with them in in different capacities, whether it's like an immigration capacity and supporting them in an affidavit of support, or even just the business ownership or the employment law side of it. So I've been able to reach more um, clients that way. But also, I mean, you know, we, this country is a country built on, on individuals from different places. And in my opinion, the more languages that I can speak, the more cross-culturally conversant I can become, then the more people I can help or serve, the more people can receive the message. Because let's face it, black and brown folks in this country speak all kinds of languages. We have we code switch in different ways. And I want to be able to deliver the information in a way that someone can understand me. So I take responsibility for being able to communicate with as many different people as possible in that way. So, I mean, with that level of diversity, right, and, and, and again, you're talking about code switching, and we're, we're talking about multiple different disciplines and, and different mm-hmm. cultural aspects. So this kind of goes to a question about, like, what is the worst example of something that you've dealt with that you had to overcome since you started running your own practice? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I would say one of the things that frustrates me the most, I had a consultation with this guy who was, he had been through this business accelerator program, and it was the kind that helps you get your business plan together, introduces you to things. You can, you can be in business or you could be starting your business. So they have a real diversity in terms of experience level. And this guy was so convinced that if he formed an LLC to protect his personal assets from his business, that meant that he didn't believe in his cause. Right. And he's like, it's not necessary yet. I'm not making that amount of money yet. And it hurt my heart because he was a black man who owned a house. Right. And, and he wanted to or was creating this business. Um, I think it was a pet food business that would also allow dogs to come into the facility. And we all know stories of dogs that, you know, the owner's like, oh, no problem. He's so sweet, would never hurt you. And then of course takes a chunk out of somebody's backside, right? Mm-hmm. And even just, he was so entrenched on, no, if I feel like I need to protect myself, that means that I don't really believe. And my belief in myself is going to protect me from whatever happened. I'm like, no. And I, and I had to just realize after a couple minutes of going back and forth, I can give him the information and it's absolutely his choice of what he wants to do with it. Right. And he hadn't gotten to the point where he realized that investors would be more likely to take him seriously. If he had a legal entity, it doesn't mean you know how to run the business better, but it means that you're protecting yourself and it just conveys a level of competence and confidence that you know what you're doing to someone who's going to come in and work with your business. So there's a lot of competition with like, you know, the the neighborhood tax person or like your auntie who's filed taxes for your uncle's business that kind of didn't really 
do anything and then Google, right, has a lot of information or you're talking to somebody who, who is in a structure that works for them or maybe it doesn't work for them, but because they don't have this formal background and that doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, get legal advice from an attorney, get tax advice from a CPA or an, or an enrolled agent because we have a license that if we give you bad advice, our license is up for grabs, right? There's a, we have a self-interest in giving you good information because we can be in trouble if we give you bad information. If you're just taking advice from someone on the corner who, you know, never really did it, they give you bad advice, you listen, there's no recourse for that. That's interesting. I think some of the key words that you that you mentioned a couple of times as we started on this conversation is like personal assets and, and protection, right? So, and again, there's different ways to mix and match these business structures, right? And a prime example would be something more an advanced technique to where someone may have a, a corporation and that corporation is buying vehicles, right? Right. And now most people may think they'll buy the vehicle under their name, but again, a corporation they want to leverage that asset and they want to mm-hmm. purchase it. So, mm-hmm. how does that protection necessarily work if if I own a corporation mm-hmm. and let's say the corporation gets sued, but mm-hmm. my car, my day-to-day car, that's my business car is tied up in that matter. Yeah. So it depends on how you're using that car. So if your car is paid for through your business and you're using it for a business purpose, let's say you have a cleaning company and you have the cleaning van that you take around with you. If you were going on your way to or from a job, that's going to be covered by the business's insurance. And if it's not covered by that, then it's the entity that gets sued that would be fiscally responsible, financially responsible for whatever judgment that's assessed against that individual, against that company. So if you're operating under your role in the company, then the company can pay for it. If you take the company van out and decide to do, you know, California sideshow, you know, doing donuts in the middle of the street and stuff, and it has nothing to do with your business, your business isn't going to protect you or the business could choose not to protect you for that, right? There are other ways too, like as the CEO or the owner or a high level VP of your own company or of a company, sometimes VPs get vehicles that they're able to use, right? And so of course you're going to use it for more than just work. You're going to use it on personal time. And so then you'd want to make sure that there is an, an auto insurance policy that cover has comprehensive coverage so that anything that happens, you're going to your kid's basketball game or whatever, going to the park and, and you get into an accident, that that insurance is going to cover it. But what the legal entity does is it separates your business assets and liabilities from your personal assets and liabilities. So if you're driving the company vehicle, get hurt on company time, company's responsible, and your house, your savings, your retirement, not up for grabs because there's that legal wall of protection between the two. So I mean, I'm loving this conversation and I love to play devil's advocate, right? And especially with someone of your magnitude. So let's say not only my cars are owned by the company, let's say my homes are owned by the company mm-hmm. as well and i'm leveraging those as assets and i'm getting rental properties and i'm living in one of my rental properties would that be the same kind of thing as well so it depends on how many different entities there are and what's included in the entity so for rental properties for example i just bought two properties and they're they are in two different states but because there's two different sets of tenants mm-hmm. and because they're two different properties i set up two different llc's to have those properties. So if something happens to my property in Washington and everything's fine in Oregon, I don't want the the Washington tenants to have access to to my 
organ property to potentially pay for a judgment. I want that to be limited. Now, if I buy another property in Washington, I would have to think about whether I want to put that property under the same LLC. Oh. What it means is that now both of those properties would be up for grabs if something happened. And, you know, if insurance didn't cover, right? But on the flip side, if I decide to use the business and apply for a loan, or if I have to do it myself personally, and I'm listing the business as my own, which it is, um, then it looks like my business has more because now I have two properties under that LLC, right? So you can't do anything to get rid of all of the risk, but you want to make sure that you understand where the risk is, where the reward is, and then make a decision that, that meets your needs and best protects you. And I mean, you know, like I said, I, I, love, I love these type of conversations because, I mean, you get to, to hear the, the inside. And again, some people, they may think very rigid and think extreme. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if you start opening up your mind and the conversation that we're having, I mean, there's so much diversification and strategy that you could utilize. I mean, right. what you just described, and I always kind of refer to it as kind of like the, the Six Flags model. And then people are like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, think about it. Six Flags has this, say, 20 roller coasters, right? Mm-hmm. Every single plot of land that a roller coaster is on. It technically is his own LLC. So right. if that roller coaster kills someone, they will sue Six Flags, but then Six Flags is going to delegate that lawsuit to that particular ride, to that particular LLC. So right. Six Flags is unaffected in the big umbrella, but the mm-hmm. micro gets hit. And mm-hmm. again, it's going back to you're talking about protection, right? So like my next question in this, this scope of protection and umbrellas, what you just said, right? Is it something that you can utilize an umbrella or maybe some kind of um, holding company to say, mm-hmm. hey, these are all my assets. These are all my LLCs. And yeah. this is the one umbrella to, to your point. And you can take the umbrella company to get the loans. But if you get a lawsuit, then you're going to get hit per property. Right, right. Yes. So yes, you can. Um, And that's a conversation I think that should be had with an attorney that specializes in kind of like that higher level, like umbrella holding companies, holding companies are just companies that don't actually have any function, but they just hold separate businesses, as opposed to a parent company, trying to think of like, um, maybe a media company, right, that they have, like, let's say ABC, NBC and CBS were all owned by the same parent company. I can't think of Alphabet. Alphabet owns Google and everything else on the right. Exactly. Exactly. Or like Gap, Banana Republic and Athleta, um, they're owned by the same parent company. Right. So they're they're operating as separate businesses. But the parent company is still making decisions about how these different companies will run, even though they're under that parent company as separate entities that are running themselves. But the holding company is just there sort of in name only. So only. So the holding company just holds businesses that are assets. You, you know, oftentimes the holding company is just an LLC and then the owner of that LLC will receive the benefits um, from the and, the, and the liabilities too, but there's a couple layers of protection that's there. And wow. another thing that um, I'm just learning more about, I learned about a little bit in law school, but now it's having more applicability to my own life. So I mentioned these two properties that I have and Um, My my dad passed away about a year and a half ago and he'd set up a trust. And I was so grateful that he had set up a trust and done those steps, even though we didn't have these conversations when he was alive about what was going to happen. So I knew because of law school and then because of my dad a little bit later on that a trust is what I should set up. But I didn't feel like I had any, I didn't have any, I didn't own anything at that time. Right. It's like, well, maybe I'll do it later. It's great to have a will and advanced directive and all of this stuff. 
Um, but now that I have two properties, I have LLCs that own those properties. And then as I'm talking to the estate planning attorney, like how I want to be able to pass these on without having these properties go to court. So if you don't have a trust, everything goes to probate court and a court has to decide who the rightful heirs are for whatever that deceased person has owned, right? Mm -hmm. It takes money. We just saw um, Chadwick Boseman's estate lost, you know, millions of dollars because he didn't have a, have a trust. And so his wife ended up getting money, but they lost millions just having to go through the court. So the LLCs are, I'm going to transfer my ownership interest in my, both of my businesses into the trust while I'm living, I am the beneficiary of the trust. And when I die, I will have named somebody who's going to receive, become the beneficiary of the trust. And I thought about it, it was like, okay, it passes seamlessly, just like it did from my dad to me and my sister. But what I realized is my rental properties are profitable. Hmm. So whoever I name as the beneficiary, let's say I name you as the beneficiary, I die, you automatically, like day one that I am not here, get these two businesses that are automatically profitable, hmm. right? You don't have to do anything but go to the bank and say, hey, this is the paperwork. I'm now the owner of these accounts. You go to you know, the records office and say, hey, I'm the owner of these accounts. And you automatically get a business that's profitable without having to do anything. So this is a really, really important way and a necessary tool for us to pass on wealth from generation to generation. And don't worry about whether your child or your niece or nephew or whoever you name wants to run the business. Mm -hmm. If the business is making some money, they have an opportunity to step into it. They can hire people to run it or they could sell it and get the money from that. But what you have done is you've set up the next generation to not have to start from zero. Very cool. Very cool. So, I mean, that leads us to transcend. Right. And I mean, yeah. I think that that's that's your brand and everything you're talking about is the legacy and wealth building. So, like, just dive into that. Let's say I'm coming to you for the first time and I'm saying, hey, I want to start a company. You're going to help me start this LLC. You're going to give me some general information. But then after that, I think the other big thing in your course is essentially planning. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what you were just describing to a certain extent was kind of like, how do you plan this out? How do you create and develop this trust? Then right. after you're planning, what's the next step? Like, right. so now we have a plan. We have an LLC. What do we do? Yeah, absolutely. So and it's a great question. Like we said earlier, the first step is to make sure that you have a legal entity. You can't pass on a business that's in a sole proprietorship. It's a sole proprietorship is an extension of you. An LLC or a corporation can be bought or sold. So make sure your business is in that. The planning stage is really important for a couple of reasons. We work so hard as people of color and we give all of ourselves oftentimes to our businesses and our businesses don't give back to us because we haven't set it up that way. But what I want for all of us, I want financial freedom. I want time freedom. I want rest. I want location independence. All of these things that I want for myself, I want for us as a people at large. And the only way, or one of the ways to do that is to be strategic about how you use your business. So depending on how your business is set up, when you go to apply for a loan for the property, your business gets to show how much revenue you have made so that you qualify for a higher loan, right? You can buy property and put it under your business. You can use it as leverage. You can pass it on. You can decide that you want to retire early, or maybe you don't want to officially retire, but you've built your business up that it's supporting you and you've hired people to run it. So now it becomes this passive income maker. Our businesses, our talent 
is a moneymaker. And unfortunately, because of the, the history that we have in the United States, that has not been honored. It has not been rewarded financially. And so it's time for us to learn how to play the game and take advantage of the tax structure and the legal structure that will allow us to keep all of our money like the rich white folks do. So that's how I feel that my role is and my passion is right now is to teach us how to do this. And that's exactly what we do inside Transcend. We start from the ground up, making sure that you have your legal stuff together. We make a plan for how you want to grow and scale, but grow and scale in a way that doesn't necessarily require um, the same ratio of your time. So if, 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 if I'm doing business coaching and I'm doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, I have a maximum of people because I have a maximum of hours in the day or hours in the week that I can get. But then I can scale and start doing one to many, right? So it's one little hour of time for me, but I'm reaching 15 different people at the same time. That's an example of being able to scale without also doubling your personal time and investment in that. So we talk about how you want to grow. What do you need to retire? People are talking about a million dollar business. That's great. You can have a million dollar business. Do you need a million dollar business? Maybe your business making $250,000 a year is great for you. So let's think about getting there first in a way that's sustainable. And then once you hit those financial goals, you know what you need. So you don't have to be working until forever. Then we're going to figure out how do you want to leverage your business to buy property, to invest, and to pass it on? Where do you want your legacy to go? What do you want your legacy to be? Is it just the business? Is it money? Is it business and money? Is it your reputation? All of that stuff. So it's being intentional about what we're doing. We're already hustling. We're already doing the thing. So let's be intentional about how we're doing it so that we can live free now and pass on our hard work to the generation that's coming after us. Great, great. So, I mean, with that, I mean, the next step in your course is essentially like the maintenance, right? So we get all these things set up. We get this plan. We get our LLC. We know what our road is. We know our destination. But what kind of maintenance are we talking about as far as creating these business structures? Yeah, absolutely. Well, every year and I advise every January to take a look at your entity formation documents again. In California, every two years, you have to file an updated statement of information. And that just says the key players are still the key players. We're still using the same address. If you don't do it, there's a, a fine that you have to like a $25 late fee or something like that, that you have to pay. But it's important because that also shifts to the franchise tax board, our tax entity here. And if you haven't stayed on top of both of those, then your business is no longer in good standing and you just don't want to have to deal with that. It's easy enough to fix, but you don't want to have to fix it, right? You want to take a look at your contracts every year. Do they still have the same protection clauses that are the protection clauses still relevant as they were when you first created them? Is your client work a little bit different? What needs to be updated? Because if there's a dispute, the judge or a third party decision maker is going to look at what's the agreement on paper. So update those every year. Take a look at your financials. Where are you spending? Where are you losing? What can you adjust to make sure that you're still profitable? And then just take a look at your goals every year. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to grow? Is it a growth year? Is it a maintenance year? And then, you know, just keep checking in with yourself. Does this feel good? Is it an alignment? How do I feel? Is it supporting me? I really believe that um, there is a big shift in terms of being holistic in terms of our lives and making sure that what we're doing for work is also rewarding and life affirming. It's so easy because we've done it for generations of giving ourselves to everything else. But I really want us to be thriving in our businesses and to have things that support us, um, allow us to show up in our best light and then reward us for the work that we're putting in. 
So I'm, I'm hearing you and I'm, I'm listening to like all the information that, that you're delivering, which I mean, obviously anyone that's listened to this podcast, this is one of these episodes that you kind of have to pause, rewind, listen again, take notes, stop, rewind, take more notes, and then take action on what you're learning. But if somebody is hearing you, they, you maybe come across as this perception as this 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 legal genius that all this information is just pouring out of you so easily. But in reality, how long did it take you to get to where you are currently right now? Well, I started law school in 2006 and everything that I have been experiencing from then until now has gone into what I'm able to tell you today. So it's, it doesn't stop learning. It's not something that you can just research on. You can find pieces on the internet, but I've advised hundreds of businesses. I've formed hundreds of businesses. I've coached a number of clients. So when you get me, you get all of that experience. So if, if you're feeling overwhelmed, like, oh my gosh, I don't, I'm just barely starting or I just have an idea, you know, just take a deep breath and realize that it is a process and that process can be really beautiful and keep in mind where you want to go and then figure out what you need to get there. But it's important to have those stretch goals, right? And then to have those goals that are just within reach and to also have a community of people who are in the same spot as you, because it can be overwhelming, but everybody gets there right when we're supposed to. Wow. Wow. So I, I want to talk about like you historically, right? I mean, like, like your upbringing, like, mm-hmm. and again, I, and, I, and I'm going to, I'm going to jump out there and I, I'm going to make a, make a statement. You can tell me I'm correct or wrong. I, I, and I'm going to, I'm going to guess, right. I'm going to say, maybe you're from a Caribbean family background and maybe you had some parents that were either hard workers or they were entrepreneurs. So again, I want you to kind of tell me where I'm right or where I'm wrong, but like how, where are you getting your entrepreneurial insight and hustle from? Yeah, that's that's a that's a really good question. So not from a Caribbean background. My mom is from Jackson, Mississippi. Um, my mom came from a civil rights family. My grandfather worked with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Medgar Evers. And my mom actually was the first black woman to integrate the University of Mississippi. So that like passion for helping and being a change maker definitely comes from that side. My dad was from Waukegan, Illinois. He played basketball and ended up uh, at Portland State University, which is where my parents met. And he was an entrepreneur. He was a person who just didn't want to be told what to do. So I think by default, he became an entrepreneur and he wasn't afraid to learn something and go out and try it. But what I'll tell you is, though, that my dad never provided financially for our family. So I didn't really realize, like, I knew that he was doing his own thing. He had a Christmas tree farm, but I never saw the fruits of his labor within our family. So I didn't tie what he was doing to entrepreneurship. And I didn't tie it to success. And quite frankly, until after he died and realized that he was able to leave you know, some money behind and some property behind because I didn't see that as a kid when I was growing up. So I have a combination of both of my parents where my dad was a little bit more adventurous, a little, a little more uh, risk friendly. My mom's super risk averse. She was a principal my entire life. She was a middle school principal for the majority of my life. So when she knew what, I, what trouble I was even thinking of before the thought could fully form in my mind. So I have that combination of let's try it and see what happens, but also that um, determination and diligence from my mom's side of, of that structure. And sometimes they don't always go together because entrepreneurs need to think outside the box I've been in a box for a long time from a principal of a mother to an attorney who's, you know, we're rule bound and taught what could go wrong. But then I have this other side of like, well, maybe you could try it and see what happens. 
Very interesting. So, I mean, with that type of diversity, I mean, obviously you're talking about the yin and the yang, right? You were raised in the yin and the yang environment. How do you currently manage your, your work life with your family life today because of that yeah. upbringing? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, um, like I said, when I had burnt out and was trying to decide what I wanted to do, and again, it was teaching because I love it, and it was the ability to travel because I love travel and the ability to have enough money to do what I needed to do. And so traveling also encompasses having enough free time to be able to spend it when and where I want. So whether that's going home to visit my mom or visit my family that lives in Florida or going to another country to just spend time and hang out. Um, it is important to me, like if we're, we could be working really hard and for what, right? What, who's going to, who's going to receive the benefits of it if we don't build in the places to feel that reward right away. So, and, and I also just can't do stuff that I'm not interested in. So if I didn't get to take these breaks and go see my family and spend time and do the things that I would want, like I would be a miserable human. I don't have that, <laughs> that ability to just, you know, do something just because it's what I'm supposed to do and not have any enjoyment in it. But I made a promise to myself and I think entrepreneurship allows you to do this to decide what life I wanted and then keep that at the forefront and make every decision that allows me to get to where I'm trying to go. Cause I, I don't want to wake up or be sick in a hospital bed and go, Oh, I wish I would have, I want to live right now while I'm young, while I'm relatively healthy, right? Every day, every 38 now, every morning I wake up and I'm like, okay, what ailment do I, <laughs> do I have today? How's my back, how's my shoulder? Then I don't want to wait until I retire and I need a knee replacement and a hip replacement. And, you know, I've got heart medication that won't allow me to get on an airplane. So I'm living the life of my dreams now, not because I've hit all of my goals, but because every day I decide to wake up and live the life of my dreams. Wow. So uh, out of all the places you've ever been to, like, which is your top favorite in the world today? Yeah, I absolutely love Cuba. Um, and I, I always say that, that I love Cuba with my American privilege, though, right? Because I can leave. I can bring enough money when I go to the country to have everything that I need. Um, but I really love the spirit and the heart and the music of Cuba and just adore um, the folks that I've met in Cuba. My introduction to Cuba came back in 2006. I had graduated college or finished my requirements for college a quarter early. We're on the quarter system. So I studied abroad in Cuba. And it was the best experience of my life. I didn't have any responsibility other than to take Spanish classes, learn how to dance and learn about the history of Cuba and the Caribbean. And it just felt like what I imagine like the 1940s and 50s in the United States felt like everybody knows their neighbors, you know, their parents, their grandparents, their aunts, their uncles. It's this community feel partly by force because you have to pull your resources together, but also just by connection, heart and community. And so it was a nice, um, different look at how you can be in community with people. We're very individualistic here in the United States and, and that's fine, it serves a purpose, but it, that was my first introduction to you. There's more than one way to do something and you can decide how you want to be and who you want to be and still get to whatever finish line or end goal that you set for yourself. So I've probably been back to Cuba the most out of any other country. I, it's like restorative for me and I absolutely love it. Um, I had a good time in Brazil too. I went to Brazil for the World Cup with some really good friends of mine in 2014, and we were the only all girls group. So we were having a good time. We were meeting people from from other countries. They were like, uh, "Did you guys travel by yourself?" We're like, you bet we did. 
Very cool. Very cool. So, I mean, something else that you just brought up as far as, you know, you're, you're waking up and, and morning ailments and, and, and being in your 30s and, and, and trying to figure things out before you get too old to live. So what does your morning regimen look like today? Like, what is your morning routines? Yeah. So I, I try to wake up without an alarm. And even when I set an alarm, I usually wake up, you know, 20 to 30 minutes ahead of time anyway. So there's not a whole lot of sleeping in that goes on, even though I'm trying to get better at sleeping. Um, and I wake up and I actually play a recorded, um, I don't know if you'd call it a meditation, but like a mind script that says who I am and who I am becoming, but it's written as if I'm already there. Right. And I play that. I listen to it twice in the morning while I'm still just kind of coming to consciousness, just grab my phone and hit play. And then I get up and um, some days I'll do a workout in the morning and then I will sit, make a cup of coffee and sit on my couch and pull out my journal. I have um, a I use insight timer and sometimes I'll listen to a meditation that's there or I'll play the sound bowls that are there and I'll just write and see what comes up. And I spend as much time writing as I, as I need to spend. So the other day I woke up and had this stress dream because there's deadlines that had come up and it's like, okay, how would million dollar Asha decide to handle this situation? Not Asha who's stressed out right now, but my, my best self. It's okay. Take care of yourself first, get yourself calmed back down. The work is going to be there. And I think it was probably nine, nine 30 by the time I actually sat down at the computer. But by the time I sat down, I was calm. I was collected because I had given myself that two, two and a half hours that I needed in the morning to just pour into me. And that's time that I promised that I would always give myself because, you know, you can't, you can't take care of other people if you can't take care of yourself first. Very cool. Very cool. So, I mean, again, I, I love these conversations because I like, as I'm listening to you, I'm making like mental notes of things that you said earlier on to bring back. And you were talking about your mom being, you know, pretty far up the food chain as far as education. Right. So I would think by default, reading was fundamental in your household. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, you're a student of the game. You're a lawyer. English is probably one of those things that you could write all day, all night. So on your journey to get where you, where you are right now, like what books do you would like to recommend that helped you get to where you are right now? Yeah, that's, you know, I need to make a list because I feel like I've read so many and, I, and then can't remember all of them. Um, I read early on The Alchemist. And um, it, it's a great book just about, you know, chasing the dream and, and figuring out what it is that you want and going after that. And that's just kind of a life book. But entrepreneurship is a big mirror for who you want to be. It's going to challenge you personally. So any of those personal self-help, self-development books um, really work. I've read Five Love Languages, which is, you know, another relationship book, but it is really important. And I heard somebody in a money business coaching session say, you know, you can apply the five love languages to your relationship with money or to your relationship with your business, right? And I was like, really? And I started thinking about it. Like, how do you need to feel loved and supported? Not just interpersonally, but how do you need your business to support you and, and make you feel good? How can you love on your business and this side of you in a way that affirms you? And so looking at how you love and, and those love languages is really helpful. Um, let's see, I've read, I read the four hour work week pretty early on, um, probably too early on because then I only wanted to work four hours a week and I wasn't ready to do that yet. But from what I, the lesson I still carry from that book is um, what kind of decisions can you free up so there's not a bottleneck with you? How can you give other people that are working with you or working for you decision-making power that will unclog that chain? Um, 
there's a negotiation book um, by a former hostage negotiator. Um, I think it's, I forget exactly what it's called. It's on my, my bookshelf in the, in the living room. Um, but anything about negotiation, communication, um, a lot of the self-help, self-development books, because the thing is too, is that people will write to you from their experience and, and it's helpful, but take the lessons that work for you and leave the ones that don't. You don't have to become a new person, just become a better version of yourself. So, you know, people will say, well, you gotta get on Instagram, you gotta do lives, you gotta do Facebook lives. If that's not in your personality, if that's not how you shine and show up and it stresses you out to do it, then don't do it. But make sure you're not making that decision because you're scared of it. Make sure you're making that decision because that doesn't showcase you in the best light. And there's some other place that you shine, like maybe showing up live or maybe writing is your thing. And so you're really good at doing your email list. And that's the way you actually want to communicate with your audience. So take it all in, but then then assess what is really true for you. And, and don't be afraid to change your mind. Make a decision and make a different decision when the time comes to make a different decision. You are in control of what you do and you don't have to do anything for the rest of your life or even for the next hour you have a lot of control yeah and i mean i'm just hearing you you have you have so much insight and, and an abundance of passion by what you're doing so like my next question is have you had an opportunity or are you already planning to write your first book or second book i mean where are you as far as your authorship goes um i have i've heard that i should write a book a couple of times and, and it's funny because people see us differently than how we see ourselves right so the things that i'm talking about they just come out because they're a part of who i am i don't necessarily see them as these great insights because it's just it just comes out of me right so i've heard that i should write a book but i haven't really gotten to the point of like okay well what would this book say what would it do what would be the focus and the theme but it is something that's that is a like medium distant uh dream and one of these days in the next couple of years i'll probably um sign up for a course or for some mentorship to to get that first book out of me but, it, but i haven't done it yet so I'm just thinking about what you just said, right? And, and it's kind of like you, you give so much insight and so much coaching. And, and I just think if you had a tangible book, but again, you have a podcast. So mm -hmm. I, I want you to think about your podcast as kind of like your like your outline for your book, right? Let's say right. you have 20 episodes. I think you're on episode 50 or something like that. So let's say you have mm -hmm. 20 core episodes and you can put those episodes in the streamlined process to say, okay, this is what you do first. This is how I'm helping you. And then you transcribe those episodes and by default, you're going to have an outline for a book. And then all you have to do mm -hmm. is really clean it up so i'm just saying that to help push you forward because yeah, yeah, yeah. i definitely see a book in you just yeah, get it out yeah thank you thank you i appreciate that and i feel like you know I'm, i have so many different interests from travel to business to languages to mindset coaching to all of that so in my head right i'm like i could do this that and the other thing and it, and it really comes down to picking picking an area and focusing on it very cool. So, I mean, with all these things that, that you have in your, your, your mind's eye, like, where do you see yourself 20 years from now? Ooh, retired <laughs> on a beat. Well, retirement, actually, I see myself retired in the next six and a half or seven years. And retirement to me really means that I have enough passive income streams that I don't have to work for money. So, but what I see in my future and what I do when I go on vacation is being somewhere near a beach, um, working, you know, probably no more than 10 to 15 hours a week because that teaching is still in my heart and it's just a passion of mine. I think I will always choose to work with or coach or support business owners 
um, in whatever capacity that is. So whether that's actually entity formation and coaching from the more business side or just even the mindset coaching or, you know, creating your design life, something like that. I think I will continue to pour into people. Um, but I will I will have seen most of the world in the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. And I will for sure have a spot by the beach. And whether that means I live there permanently or I go back and forth from the U.S. to whatever beachfront property I have. Um, I am absolutely certain that that will happen. Very cool. So, I mean, what you do on a day-to-day basis, obviously there's tools and software behind the scenes that people may not even comprehend that's going on. Mm -hmm. What tools do you use on a day-to-day basis that you would not be able to do what you're doing without having access to these platforms? Yeah, really basic is is a calendar. Google Calendar is, you know, my lifesaver because all of my different calendars sync on there. Um, I, one of the things that became a challenge for me was people would call the phone all the time and it would be distracting and then they'd want to set up appointments and I'd have to go and look and see. So I use Acuity now. A lot of people use Calendly or Acuity or whatever appointment provider or software that you can use. Get one of those and have a couple different options um, so that people can just book a time on your calendar and you can take out that that communication piece early on and it just frees up your time. Um, This is not necessarily technology, but I heavily rely on my VAs to help me. So right now I don't have any employees, but I absolutely have support. And I had to really look at what are the things that I have to do and what are the things that I can delegate. And because as entrepreneurs, or at least for me, when I have space in my brain, I can create. When I am so busy with the tasks and doing the day-to-day things, or when I get stressed out, the creativity isn't there. Mm-hmm. And so in order for me to continue to provide and to support and to serve, I have to build in space where I can just be, where I can just exist. So the things that are more mundane or more administrative, I offload and hand to somebody else. I know how to do all of the things, but while I can, while I'm able to, I like to offload those things so I just don't have to spend time thinking about it. No, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think if, if people don't understand the, like, the benefit of VAs, and obviously there's employees and there's VAs, and, I, and I'm at the point now to where I have essentially 15 full-time VAs, they might as well be in my employees, but mm-hmm. you would not be able to have this conversation that right. we're having right now if somebody who still wasn't working behind the scenes mm-hmm. taking care mm-hmm. of business at hand. So that's something that, you know, if anyone is in a business and you're thinking about employees, you may want to start with VAs and grow into that employer employership. So right. with that, I mean, obviously we're giving out so much information to startup owners, people that are, they may not have an LLC. So let's talk about like your ideal avatar. Who is the ideal in diversion, your, your, your target demographic that you want to communicate with and you would like to work with? Yeah. So, you know, that's actually been changing a little bit over the past couple of weeks because I realized I think I'm talking to two different audiences at the same time. On the one hand, I want to talk to those folks who have just gotten started and know that they need to form a business and they're like, okay, I've got my passion, but I'm not quite sure what to do next. Those are ideal clients to come in at the beginning stage because I can help guide you or we, my team and I can help guide you so that you can actually be focused on building that business that you want as you do it from the ground up, right? A friend of mine left corporate uh, about six months ago 
and she was burned out working super hard. She started her own business and guess what? She's burned out working super hard again. And I told her, I said, be careful that you don't build this business in the same way that burned you out in the last business. And sometimes we, we just follow a pattern because we think that's what we have to do, but it's important to see what do you want to do and what are the different ways that you can get there. On the other hand, about midway through the funnel are the folks who have been in business for a couple of years who are probably grossing about $100,000, $200,000 in revenue. They've got a family, they've got a spouse, maybe they've got some kids. And now they're thinking, I don't want to be doing this for the rest of my life. How do I transition out? What is my exit strategy? Am I going to hold this company and save it for my child who may buy it from me? Am I going to pass this business on in my trust? Or am I going to sell this business and use the, the revenue from the sale to fund my retirement and figure out what I want to do for the next phase of my life? So it just depends on really where you are. There's that startup phase. We can get you started. And then there's that, all right, it's time to make a, make a change, a transition. I've done this for a while and I'm thinking about exit in about five or 10 years. Let me make a plan for that. So that person's listening, right? They're listening mm -hmm. to this podcast right now. What words of wisdom or insight would you like to leave them with? Something that will kind of motivate them through the hurdles and the obstacles that they're going to face and every entrepreneur faces. What words can you deliver to them to help them move forward? Yeah, I would say that it doesn't have to be um, it doesn't have to be a huge challenge, but it does have to be intentional. Right. So anything that we do, if you set your sight on the end goal and, and make decisions with that end goal in mind, it becomes much, much easier. But also just know that entrepreneurship is really a reflection of our of our journey as humans. So just like in life, you might wake up and be just wake up on the wrong side of the bed and be kind of funky one day. And by the end of the day, you'll be happy and jumping around and dancing and celebrating. Same is true for entrepreneurship. You have a conversation with a client that didn't go that great or something didn't, didn't turn out the way that you wanted to. By the end of the day, you get a new sale or you have really good client feedback and that's it. What is going to maintain you and sustain you is being consistent in your action. Motivation will fluctuate. Success, whatever you define as success, may be elusive at times and it may be really easy at times, but it's those consistent actions on the path to where you want to go that are going to end up getting you there no matter what happens. I think it's, it's so funny that you say that because I mean, I, I always make this joke to say, okay, if you look at someone that's bipolar and you look at an entrepreneur, there's a lot of different similarities right. between these two different <laughs> yeah. individuals for two different reasons, right? But I mean, right, to your point, right. there's highs and lows and they, they could drastically happen from a phone call, a text message, mm -hmm. or just looking at the bank account, right? Right. So, with that, you're talking to your community of people, right? So how do they get in contact with you? I mean, what's your social media profiles, your website? How, how do they contact you? Yeah. So I hang out mostly on Instagram. My handle there is Asha, A-S-H-A Wilkerson, E-S-Q. I'm happy to have you join the community. From there, you can join the email list where I drop different gems and tips for business owners wherever you are on your journey. It's going to help you build your business to leave a legacy. So I'm talking to the folks who are primarily black and brown folks who are really interested in using your business as a wealth building asset to leave behind and to change your economic future right now or your economic reality right now and the economic future of your generations to come. So it doesn't matter where you are on that process, whether you're just starting out in the middle or ready to exit, I've got stuff for all of you. Very cool. And then the, oh, I'm sorry. The website is the wilkersonlawoffice.com. Very nice. So that, that leads me to some bonus questions, right? And I think this first bonus question, I mean, you've done so many different things in your life, right? So what is your most significant achievement to date? 
doing the things that I said I would do. Hmm. I think that's probably the the biggest flex, right? Because um, you everyone can define what they want it to be for success, but um, mastering Spanish in a way that I'm comfortable, you know, conversationally comfortable, close to being fluent, but not quite because every culture has its own little lingo, right? But just taking the time to pursue that passion. I learned how to salsa dance and now I'm pretty good at it. That feels really good. I said I wanted to travel. Um, I do that pretty regularly. I said I wanted to have a life where I have a job that meets my my teaching skills and then provides for me financially and also gives me freedom. I can do that while I'm teaching. I do that in my business here. So I think my my biggest accomplishment is writing something down, really thinking about what I want and then working hard to get there and then seeing that come to fruition. That's more rewarding than any money that I've made or um, and pretty up there, you know, with clients that I've helped too, but really just being able to um, honor my word and to live up to my word. My word is really important to me. The word that I keep to myself and the word that I keep to others. So doing what I said that I, that I was going to do is probably my biggest, my biggest accomplishment so far. Cool. So another bonus question for you, right? If you could spend 24 hours with anyone, that person could be dead or alive. You're going to be able to spend these 24 hours uninterrupted. Who would you choose and why? You know, I should probably have a canned answer to this question. <laughs> and I really don't. Um, it probably would have to be a combination of people. Um, it would be, uh, so I can't think of any particular names right now, but I, I would say like anyone who's just kind of, transcended mentally their their physical circumstances the folks that really had to fight through something because i think in our in our microwave generation you know someone can put a video on youtube or on tiktok and it goes viral and nobody quite knows why and so we are unaccustomed to the pursuit of something that's worth pursuing we think it should come instantly so i'm curious um from generations that have come before us what are those, how did they talk to themselves? How did they know that what they were pursuing was going to come? And if they didn't know, what allowed them to get up every day and continue to fight for that dream that they had? How did they stay in it when today we don't stay in relationships, we don't stay in business, we don't, you know, our commitment is and our consistency leaves something to be desired for sure. So what are those characteristics and those thoughts that those leaders had to have to stay consistent when they couldn't see the end in sight. Hmm. I think it's definitely interesting. And I, and I think to add on to that, I mean, just listening to your story and, and like you were talking about your dad and your dad passing away, but you didn't know what he had and what he was doing as an entrepreneur until after the fact. So I would, I would think that would probably be an opportunity for you to kind of sit down with him and kind of just let him know that, you know, like, you know what it's like and mm-hmm. you can kind of see his seeds come into fruition right as right. well too so um going into closing i mean you're you're a fellow podcaster you're 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 a host of, of transcend so i like to give whoever i'm interviewing an opportunity to become the host of boston cage podcast so the show is now yours now i'm your guest what questions do you have for me yeah so why did you choose podcasting as your medium to talk to the world so as the story goes, man, back in 2018, I had a stroke and I was always the guy behind the curtain. Like I was a brand specialist, designer, developer, all these different things. And I was helping companies grow. And when I had the stroke, it was kind of like a, a awakening moment for me. And mm-hmm. my girlfriend at the time, who was my wife right now, she was like, okay, it's time for you to step in front of the curtain. And she was like, well, it's time for you to brand you the way you brand everyone else. And, mm-hmm. and I sat down and I had this internal dilemma with, okay, I, I'm, I'm the quiet, shy guy. I'm not going to do YouTube. And I was like, wait, so I got to do something. I got to step up my box. So I kind of half stepped 
and stepped into <laughs> podcasting. And then when I look back, I was like, I was a damn idiot. I should have just went for Fox or TV because <laughs> now I'm on, I'm on, you know, video all the time, but I love right. it now. Like now this is my, my bedrock and my passion and, and mm-hmm. like my legacy and everything else. But, you know, I had to kind of step into it and grow into who I am right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and it is a growth process, right? We don't start out, the, we don't end or leave the same way that we start, right? And sometimes we forget that it is about growth, but, you know, babies uh, learn to crawl before they can walk and they have all that growth too. So for your audience, what is the, like, what is your, your desire, your wish for the folks who are listening to you every week on your podcast? What is your, like, if, if you are the parents of them, what is that like, one desire that you have for your audience? So it's threefold, right? I mean, one fold obviously is is for the the upper echelon, the people that are listening to this podcast and they're smiling because they're hearing familiar stories and they're hearing roadblocks that they already overcame is to take this information and share it to the less unfortunate, the people that may not know what you know. And obviously you as an individual, you may not have the time to deliver the information. And that's why we have this show. And then you have like the middle people, the people that are in the trenches, building companies, building corporations. Sometimes they may be hundred thousands and sometimes they may be millionaires, but again, they may have opportunity with staff and employees to kind of understand what entrepreneurism and understand business and understand strategies this podcast can deliver that to them and then you have i always say the more green people like the seeds the seedlings the people that are growing up and they're more younger it could be someone's kid that's in their living room right now and the parent may be listening to this podcast but you don't realize your kid is listening to this podcast and and that daughter that's sitting there could potentially be you and she's hearing what you're saying and she's hearing about you traveling and hearing about you speaking multi-languages and hearing about you helping businesses. And that little bit of information could then grow into something down the road. So these opportunities for this podcast or any podcast for that matter that's delivering such value, I would say take advantage of them. Don't mm-hmm. just listen to one episode. Because again, I make sure all my episodes are completely diversified just for the reason that I don't know. I may be listening, some kid may be listening to it. An 80 year old lady that may be retiring, wanting to start her business, may be listening to it. So right. I want to make sure that we have enough of these opportunities and this information to delegate across the board. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And the last question I have for you is so for all the years that you've been in entrepreneurship and building your business or building other people's businesses as well, what is the one thing that you wish you would have known back then that would have just transformed the way you thought or the way that you moved at that time? I think in in my earlier days, I I had the vision, but today I understand that that vision needs to be supported by two things, a system and automation. And once I realized that, you know, if you have these big goals, I mean, if you look at Elon Musk, Elon Musk has this, this, this things that most people can't even comprehend, right? He's talking about going to Mars. How the hell is he going to do that without (laughs) systems and without automation, right? You could have people, but again, you have to have systems in place to verify. Prime example, when they did the rocket test, that was a system test, right? The rocket had to go up. It had to come back down. It had to land a particular way. If anything went wrong in that system test, they went back to the drawing board to mm-hmm. make it more efficient. That's exactly what business is. So once you figure out your systems, then how do you automate those systems, right? And then right. you can grow and scale. You can give more opportunities to more people, systematize it, automate it, and then you get more people. And you keep doing it over and over again. And that's how you become as big as Amazon or as big as Ford was or as big as Walmart is. It's all mm-hmm. these things happen through systems and automation. Yeah. I like it. It's good advice. 
Well, I definitely appreciate you taking time out your busy schedule today. I think you you delivered hell of value, hell of insight. I mean, the golden nuggets was just falling from the sky the entire time you were speaking. I definitely appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be on your podcast, and um, I'm excited to connect with your audience. Thank you. Great. S.A. Grant, over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762 762- 233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss and Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.